Uh, go ahead and start taking your seats. Yes, start taking your seats. Stop talking. Okay, uh, so as you guys know, <laughs> I know it's a great problem to have, it really is. So we are a few weeks into this new, uh, this new sermon series, our sermon series for the fall, which is about the book of Nehemiah. And what we've been talking about and this theme that we've kind of been tracing the last few weeks and that we'll be tracing for the entire fall is what it means to be involved in God's rebuilding project. Right? We've talked about how that's kind of the theme of this book and how it fits into the wider biblical narrative. That what we see in Nehemiah is that God is about uh, building a holy people to worship him in a, a holy city. That he's a holy God being worshipped by a holy people in a holy city. And that that really kind of summarizes the entire arc of scripture. That that is, that is the mission that God is about in the world. And so the question we've been asking ourselves then is what does it mean to live in, in light, in the light of that broader narrative? That this is not about us trying to get God on our agenda for our lives, but that we find who we most truly are as people as we ask the Lord, Lord, what does it mean for me to step in to your narrative, into the story that you are writing in the world? And we, we find out who we most truly are as we plug into that story. And so we've been talking about, uh, we've talked about prayer that prayer is one of the primary ways that we plug into the story of what God is doing in the world. That starts with prayers of confession, right? And prayers that, that, uh, that incorporate God's word and the truth of who God tells us that he is and that we are. We've talked about taking risks, like Nehemiah did. That to, that to be a part of what God is doing out in the world is gonna require us to step out and to risk without knowing uh, what the final outcome is going to be. And what we're going to be talking about this morning, because it's, because it's in our text this morning, is that stepping in to this, this overarching plan of God, what he's doing in history, is always going to require us to step into community. Because what, has, what God has called you into, what he's called us into, is too big for us to do on our own. That to be involved in this overarching plan of God requires us to step into community. Because God has, he has a part written for you in this plan. Ephesians 2.10, it says it like this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's you that God has prepared good works for you, that you should walk in them. And those, those good works are a part and, and are parcel to this overarching plan of God. And so for you to step into this plan of God, for you to be and walk in who God created you to be is gonna require you to have people around you. That's what we're gonna be talking about this morning. So I'm gonna ask Emily to go ahead and come up. Uh, Emily Au is going to be reading our scripture for us this morning. 
This is Nehemiah 2, verses 11 through 18. So if you have your Bibles with us, you can flip to them. If not, it will be up on the screen, and you can follow along. Emily. Pray with me. Father, we, uh, we're thankful for your word and ask, Lord, that as we, uh, as we study the scripture this morning, that you would speak to us, that you'd be uh, breaking down the barriers in our heart, Lord, that keep us uh, from you and from the people around us. Would you encourage us this morning because we uh, desperately need it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look here at the passage this morning, one of the first things that we see is that Nehemiah takes a hard and honest look at what needs to be rebuilt. And so there's a call for us in that, and that's actually the gateway into community for us. And what we find is that the tasks that, that Nehemiah was called into, that we are called into, are too big for us to do alone, that, that we need a we. And then we're going to talk about what that actually looks like in practice. And that one of the primary ways that we participate in community together is by encouraging each other. Okay, so taking a good, kind of hard look at what needs to be rebuilt, our need for a we, and then how we encourage each other as a part of that work. That's where, that's where we're going this morning. Okay, so first we gotta look at how does Nehemiah get, get this work started, right? And what we see is that in verse 11, he arrives in Jerusalem. So if you remember, the, the king of Persia has sent Nehemiah back to rebuild the city. And he's kind of heard about the state that the city is in. But, but once he arrives, what he, what he decides to do is to go out and look at the city for himself. And so we have this narration in the following verses of kind of the circuit that he took around Jerusalem to inspect the walls and see what was going on. And the picture that confronted Nehemiah was bleak. It says in verse 13 that the walls were broken down and the gates had been destroyed by fire. But the city is in a sad state. And what we've talked about previous weeks is that the fact that the wall was torn down means that the people were living in incredible vulnerability. That because the city of Jerusalem lacked walls while the temple had been restored, right, and the people were worshiping God in the temple, that actually the, the temple worship wasn't able to be what God had designed it to be because people were afraid to even come and live in the city. The city is in, is in ruins. It's, it's, the people are ashamed and vulnerable. 
And as Nehemiah is going around the city, he's taking in exactly what this devastation looks like. In verse 14, it talks about how he goes from the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under him to pass. And archaeologists have gone back to the best that, to the best that they can in a, in a city that is still real and alive and has people living in it and tried to excavate. Like, where was Nehemiah walking? What, what was he doing? And what they found is there's this huge area where there was a giant rock slide in the city. And what had happened is that uh, the Jerusalem before Nehemiah had been built with terraces. So you'd have like a little bit of a wall and then like some buildings and stuff and then another terrace and then more buildings and fields and other terrace. Well, when the Babylonians came through, they ripped out all of the wall and they took down those terraces. And so what happened is the city had just collapsed into piles of rubble such that he couldn't even get his animal through. He had to walk over the gravel himself. And man, as I was studying this this week, I, I kept thinking, what was that like for Nehemiah? This city that he, that he loved, the city of his, of his forefathers, of his family, the city of God that was such a big part of the, the story of the people of God, and he's walking through it at night, picking his way through rubble. What do you think he was feeling? Maybe he was uh, angry. God, how, how, did, how did you let this happen? Or maybe he was sad. Fearful to look at all of the work that kind of was in front of him. And I have to imagine that it was discouraging. That, you know, we all have ideas about the plans that we have for our lives. Sometimes when actually when our plans or our dreams come into contact with reality, that can be a hard meeting. And I think there's an, an analogy for us there as we think about what it means for us to be involved in God's rebuilding project today. Right, that as Nehemiah is thinking about rebuilding the city of God, he's thinking about the fact that this is also a part of God rebuilding the people of God. And what we know that's true about us, the church, is that we are God's people, that we are God's city. And as Nehemiah was taking a good, hard look at the city that he was called to participate in rebuilding, that uh, that's true for us as we look at the church. And if we're, if we're honest, that can be a really discouraging thing to look at, can't it? When we think about the church, kind of big picture, that when we think about the church, the kind of the capital C church, that what we often see and are confronted with is uh, hypocrisy right? That what we often become aware of is all of the ways that, that the church has been culturally compromising. The ways that it's traded in its integrity for political power. Right? The way that we've traded in comfort for and, and valued that over the mission of God in the world. And we can look at that and think, wow, Lord, this is this makes me angry. This makes me sad. This makes me fearful. This makes me discouraged. This makes me want to say it's not even worth it. Have you guys ever felt like that? And it's, it's easy uh, to see those things in the church. It's a lot harder to see those things in ourselves. Right, to see all of those problems as out there. But that what this passage would call us to first 
is to acknowledge that those things are true about us. That the church is a place that can be hypocritical uh, because there are people in the church. And what we know about people, what scripture teaches us, is that people are broken and that we're full of sin and that, that we are often hypocritical. That the church is culturally compromised because we are culturally compromised. That we have traded in the mission that Christ has called us to for the comfort of ignoring those things. The church has problems because we have problems. But that's a lot harder for us to take account of, isn't it? Because if we're honest, looking at those things and seeing those things at ourselves, in ourselves, it makes us fearful. It can make us angry and sad. It can make us think, uh, who, who would want to have, who would want to have any part with me? And and this is where remembering the overall story of scripture is so important. Because what scripture so consistently teaches us is it's what we talked about in the call to worship this morning is that our God delights in steadfast love even in the midst of our sin. And that what's true about the gospel is that God delights to move toward his people in the place of their sin. In the very places that we experience our weakness and our brokenness that those are the places that our, that our God loves to pour out his grace and his mercy on us. And that if we are unwilling to see our own sin, our hypocrisy, our compromises in ourselves, that what we're shutting ourselves off to is experiencing the gospel for ourselves. Because those are the places that our God delights to meet us. And that if we're ever going to be about the work of God in the world, what we first have to remember is that God is at work in us. Right? That's what Ephesians 2.10 talks about. Yes, that God has prepared good works in advance that we should walk in them, but what it says first is that you are God's craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus. You. You're his craftsmanship. You're not uh, the, the quickly purchased table at Target. Right? You are not the, the recently assembled piece of Ikea furniture that may be well-crafted, and uh, utilitarian, right? That takes a lot of steps to complete, you know, to kind of get it to where it needs to be. That's not you. You're not something that God purchased at a flea market and dusted off and refinished. That you are God's craftsmanship. That he's created you, that he's working in you with, with all, of the, all of the care for detail that, that, a, that a craftsman brings to his work. That's you. But every detail of your life, God is intimately involved in that. Another way of thinking about this idea of craftsmanship, you're his craftsmanship, you're, you're his poetry, is another way of translating what we find here. That God is at work in you. Not in spite of your brokenness, but in those very places. Because those are the places that the goodness and the glory of God comes through not in our perfection, but in the fact that God delights to use broken people and to work in the lives of broken people because he loves broken people. Because if he didn't love broken people, what hope would we have? But that's the character of our God. And so as we're being called into this project of what God is about in the world, the first thing we have to do is take a good hard look at ourselves and ask, Lord, what are you building in me? Lord, what are you rebuilding in me?
then how are you asking me to participate, yes, in your work out in the world, but first in what you're doing in me? One of the most outrageous things, guys, that Scripture teaches is that, uh, that, that we are the hope of the world. That the church is the hope of the world. You know that? And that's not because uh, we have everything figured out. It's because of the God who has hold of us. And that we are the way he's chosen to proclaim and show himself to the world not because of how amazing we are, but because of what it looks like when a God who's full of love and compassion works in and through us. Broken, messy, sinful, hypocritical people. That's what we see in Nehemiah, is this call to take an honest inventory of where we are in our lives and to be asking the Lord, Lord, where are you working in me? And then what we see in Nehemiah, right, is that when, when we're honest about the need that we see in ourselves and, and out in our world, that that calls us to be part of a we. So we see that in the text. It says that after Nehemiah, right, after he's gone through and he's, he's done this whole tour, he says to the people, uh, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burn. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And the people say they respond to him, let us rise up and build. So let's just keep in mind that what Nehemiah does not do is start piling up stones himself, right? Not that he goes out and kind of tracks the work that needs to be done and then he wakes up the next morning and he kind of gets his pile of stones and he starts clearing away the rubble. No, no, no. The first thing that he does is he calls other people to be a part of what God is doing in the world with him. And again, we see that in that verse in Ephesians that we talked about that we are his craftsmanship. That all throughout scripture, when we talk about the mission of God, the mission of God is always wrapped up in the entire people of God together. Don't we know that about our world? That anything that is worth doing is something that is gonna require people to work together. Like I think about, I was just reading this book that talked about the, um, and you guys know I'm kind of a history nerd, so you're just going to have to go with me, okay? Uh, the, the British evacuation of Dunkirk in World War II. You may remember it as the historical event, or you may remember it from the recent movie, right? Uh, did, it, did it win any Academy Awards, guys? I think it did, right? I got some shrugs. Yeah, I got some nods. Okay, yeah, it did. It's a good movie. Yeah, yes. Harry Styles was in it, if that gives you any context for what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yes, okay, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so it's this movie uh, about, it was a histor- about a historical event that happened in World War II, right? And what happens in this movie and in the event is that uh, the, the German army has very swiftly rolled across Western Europe, totally invaded France, uh, and the French are about to surrender. And it looks very bleak, right? It looks like his, Hitler has very quickly run a to- won a total victory over Western Europe. And you've got this, this massive a force of British and French soldiers kind of bottlenecked at this beach across the, across the English Channel, right across from England. But there's very little hope of evacuating. There are hundreds of thousands of soldiers there. And the question is, how are we going to get these guys out? 
Because if we don't, what's going to happen is that there will be no British, British army at all. And it's really easy for Hitler just to roll across the English Channel, and that's that. So there's all this planning. How are we going to evacuate these people? And so they start, they put this evacuation plan into, or into place. It's called Operation Dynamo. Fun fact, okay? And their hope, their, their grand hope was that they would be able to rescue 50,000 people out of hundreds of thousands of soldiers. That was their optimistic number. And over the course of the next few days, what happened is that the British people as a whole recognized the great need that they were in and rallied together, and people were taking their private fishing boats across the English Channel to rescue, to rescue soldiers. And at the end of the day, I wrote down this number specifically because I thought it was so interesting. Apparently no one else does this morning, but we'll keep going, okay? 338,226 soldiers were rescued. That's amazing. There were 887 boats used. A quarter of them were a part of the British Royal Navy. 91 of them were like commercial passenger vessels. The rest of them were all just individual people's boats. Because there is this sense of, no, there is something that is worth doing. There's a great need, that, and there's something worth doing. And for it to be done, we are going to have to do it. And we could talk about that in so many instances in our world, right? We know that. We recognize that. I think about that even as I drive around East Nashville and I see the signs up in people's yards that say, we are in this together. I'm like, yes. Thank goodness. And yet, at the same time, I think what we know from our human experience is that uh, the we's in our lives can be pretty fragile, can't they? That we are all in this together sounds really good, but that in practice, that is very hard and often feels not true. That's why we have to have signs that try to remind us of that. <laughs> why is that? Why are the we's in our lives so fragile? I think one of the reasons is that uh, we is never efficient. That if we're trying to accomplish a task as quickly as possible, it is never better to, to, to go with a we. It always takes a lot more resources and a lot more time. And if what we're about is results, getting results fast, okay, that usually the we seems like not a good idea. But I will tell you, honestly, I think the problem is a lot deeper than that. Like when I was in, uh, when I was in, I don't know what grade I was in, but when I was a kid, okay, I swam on a rec league swim team. And uh, on, on Fridays before the Saturday meets, the coach, Mr. Edgman, would get us all together on the pool deck and he'd give us a pep talk, which is like giving a pep talk to a group of wild animals. It's, it's totally pointless with all the, all the children running around the pool deck. But anyway, he would gather us together and try to quiet us down. And he would tell us, uh, kids, there's no I in team. Oh, thanks, Mr. Edgman. That's inspirational as far as it goes, and it's kind of hard to understand at a swim meet because we're all swimming individual events, but I will, okay, I'll trust you. <laughs> Snow I and team. And I remember, even as like a 10, I mean, there's, I think there was 10, 11, one of my friends leaning over to me and saying, yeah, but there is a man. Cynical kid, huh? No, I think he was just a good speller. But uh, as an adult person, I hear the cynicism there. Yeah, there's no I and team, but there's a me that what so often undermines the we that we know that we need is our own selfishness and pride. Our own fear. That I actually don't want you to see 
all of the ways that I need you because I'm afraid that you'll walk out. That I know that if I get involved in something that's bigger than me, it's going to cost me something. That I'm going to be inviting pain into my life because I'm inviting other people into my life, and that's, that goes with the territory. And I don't, I don't, I don't want that. That there's a pride of wanting to say, no, I can do this on my own. That those things, that's, that sin is at the heart of what destroys the we that we so desperately need because we were created for we. Think about that. That, that is one of the, the most basic and most unique parts of what we believe as Christians, that God himself is a we. That the one God that we worship is himself a trinity, which tells us that community has existed for all of eternity. And if you only have, a, if you only have one God who's not in three persons, you can't have that. but that God in making us in his image has created us to be a people who, who are created to be a part of a we. It's, it's fundamental to who we are as people. And so, yeah, we're, we're called into this we together and that what we need to be able to persevere in the we is the humility that we get from taking an honest inventory of ourselves. Because it's in looking at ourselves and recognizing the sin, the sin that is in us and the places that we need the grace and the love of Jesus in our lives that gives us the humility then to step into and acknowledge our need for other people. And we do, we need each other. Even in rebuilding this community, you know, that us becoming the church that, that God has created us to be for East Nashville, guys, that, that, is a, that's a we project. That it's too big of a thing for anybody, any one person to do on their own. This last week we were doing our small group leader, we called it a kick shop. Uh, it's irrelevant why we called it that for the moment, but okay. Uh, just kicking off our small group season. And we were talking to our small group leaders about, hey, what, w- what would you like to see for our community? And ask the question, let's say that as a community, we all stacked our hands on saying what we're about is becoming people who are spiritually mature in Christ, who, who are mature in Christ. That we, what, what would it look like if we were a community that was committed to maturing in Christ, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, socially? Here's what some of your small group leaders said. They said that we would be a, a more vulnerable community, a community that's willing to actually talk about where, where we are, to be honest about that that we would be a community that's different than the world around us, probably in ways that we can't even quite put our fingers on, and yet different in a way that would be attractive, that we would be a more compassionate, a more caring community, that we'd be a community that would have uh, probably more conflict, but healthier conflict, because we would be talking about what was actually happening in our interactions. We would be saying what's true. Do you want to be a part of a community like that? This is an opportunity now for participation, okay? Would you like to be a part of a community like that? Yeah, that, you know, that is something that we have to build together. What that requires is, is you being willing to say, yes, I, I want to be a person who is maturing in Christ. But one person making that commitment doesn't change a community. Like, what if we were a community where 
uh, where people could actually bring their questions. That this would be a safe place to doubt and to ask the things about God that are really hard. Do we want to be a community like that? Let me try that again. Do we want to be a community like that? Yes, okay. Now, what that requires, right, that requires something from all of us. That when people bring you their, your, their questions, that you respond with gentleness and grace. It also requires that people bring their questions, which means you having the courage to ask the questions that you have. It also means being a, com- a community that's willing to listen to the truth of Scripture and let it speak into those questions. That's something that we do together. Do we want to be a, do you want to be a welcoming community? Yes, okay, now we're getting the hang of this a little bit more. If we had another hour, we'd just spend all Sunday doing the call and response thing to really kind of amp it up, but we're not going to do that. Yes, we want to be a welcoming community, right? You, for that to happen, uh, th- that's, that's something that we have to stack our hands on together. That when you come here on Sundays, that you would, that you would see the people around you, that you would ask their names, and that you would remember them or like me, if you can't remember people's names, that you would write them down with fun facts about them to help you remember them. That for us to be a welcoming community means that if we want people who are here to feel like they belong and get invited to stuff after Sunday morning, more than Sunday morning, that means, that means you being willing to invite people into more than just Sunday morning. Because what we're doing here is too big, is too beautiful, is too important for any one of us to do alone that it's something that God has called us into and invited us into doing and being about together. And as we're, as we're going about that work together, one of the things that we see in this passage in Nehemiah is one of the primary works of us being a we is encouraging each other. That after the people respond to Nehemiah and say, let us rise up and build, it says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. We're not talking about people doing finger crunches, you know? This idea of strengthening their hands is encouraging each other. They were pressing courage into each other. Why would they need to do that? I won't make you answer that one, I'll just tell you. It's because they were afraid. That they knew that they needed courage. That the work that they were walking into was hard work, that it was going to cost them something, that it was bigger than what they could do on their own. And for some of them, it was probably because it was work that they had already done before. We've talked about that in Nehemiah, that there were walls in Jerusalem that had been built that had been torn down. And some of these people had been involved in rebuilding the walls uh, or trying to rebuild the walls just a few years before. People think like 13 years before. But enemies came against them, the king put a stop to it, and the walls that they had tried to build were torn down. Remember, these people, the people that Nehemiah is talking to are people who have come back to Jerusalem with really high hopes to see the the temple rebuilt, to see the walls of the Jerusalem built back up, to see the city thriving again. And what they found after living in this city for decades is that the city is not thriving. And Nehemiah is coming and saying, no, it's worth it to still be engaged in the work of God because God is still at work here. Will you set your hands to it again? And that what the people needed was to have their hands, they needed to be encouraged. They needed to have their hands strengthened for the good work that God had called them to. That's true for us. 
that to step into this good work that God has called us to, that what we need to do, what we need from each other is encouragement. And most of us growing up, I think we're given a different idea of what encouragement looks like than maybe what we're, that we're, what we're seeing here in the scriptures. That the kind of encouragement I was used to was the kind of encouragement that came from a poster on the wall that said, uh, if you shoot for the moon, you will always, at least you will land among the stars, right? Did anybody have posters like that in there? Okay. You know, that kind of encouragement? They're like, yeah, anything that you put your mind to, you can do it. Just try hard. Listen to your heart, you know, you'll get there. That is not the kind of encouragement that these people needed. What they needed was a steady and strong reminder of the promises of God, that God was at work. And that's true for us. That what we need to be reminded of is that God is at work. That he's, he's, he is committed to his work in the world. What Jesus tells the disciples is that the, the, that the power of hell will not overcome the kingdom. That the kingdom will prevail. He'll, his kingdom will prevail. Why? Because Jesus, when he hung on the cross, some of his very last words were, it is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It's finished. As we look around us, we ask, this? This is finished? Look at ourselves. We ask, this is finished? No, no, no. What, what Jesus was telling us is not that everything had been complete, that the need for, for, for work in the world was, was, was done. What Jesus was saying on the cross is that on the cross, he sealed the victory of life over death. That what he showed us in such vivid terms through his death and through his resurrection is that the kingdom would come and that the gates of hell could not prevail against it. That the kingdom of the heavens, like we sang about, is even now advancing and there's nothing that can hinder or stop its advance. That his promise is that the kingdom will come. That, that has been finished and set in stone. That's it. That's the final verdict. And in the meantime, he's given the Holy Spirit to remind us of that reality. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. That he's come to be with us where we are and to remind us of what is true. That suffering, Romans 5 tells us this, that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces hope, and hope, no, no, I said that wrong. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope because the Holy Spirit is pouring God's love into our hearts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit is to pour God's love into our hearts to remind us of the love of God. To intercede for us, to groan for us before the throne of God. To remind us that our God is always on our side. To remind us of the finished work of Christ for us. He's our encourager. And so the work that we're called into as encouragers of each other is that we would be uh, amplifiers of the message that the Holy Spirit is already preaching to us in our own hearts. That what we're strengthening each, other, strengthening each other with is the truth that the Holy Spirit is already speaking to us. And we are a people who desperately need that. I know, I'm, I, will, I will just use an I statement. I'm a person who desperately needs that. And I think about places in my own life where I've been uh, in the dark, seemingly never-ending tunnel of depression and despair, right, of crippling anxiety or doubt, 
and that there were people in my life who who came and sat with me in that tunnel and said, it's going to be okay. That even where you are, God is with you. And if you're having a hard time believing that, I'm with you. That's encouragement. People who said, it's okay to be here, but you don't have to stay here. So let's get up, and I'm going to help you keep walking and reminding you what's true. That's encouragement. Right, that stepping into, stepping into my, my call has been a, uh, there are moments where I've wondered, Lord, is this the call that you have for me? And I've needed people to take my face and say, yes, here's why. Let me remind you. That's encouragement. It's people pressing into me what the Holy Spirit is already saying. And that we all need people like that in our lives. That the work of stepping into this calling, this grand narrative that God is writing in the world that he's written a part for you in, that you need people in your life who are gonna hold your face and say, it's worth it. It's worth it to keep going. We're gonna remind you of the love that God has for you, that they can say to you when you forget or have a hard time believing that it's true, the work of Jesus is true for you and, and they can say it's finished. That there is nothing that the enemy has against you. Guys, what we're, what we're stepping into when we do that, uh, that work with each other, and support each other as we step into that God's work out in the world. Uh, we're doing that not in our own strength. Right? Like I think about the actual city of Jerusalem as it currently exists today, okay? Because uh, it, it's still a city. This city that we are talking about is still a city. And there are places in that city where you can find the walls that Nehemiah helped rebuild. Like walls from the Persian period. And that city has continued, people have continued to live in it, which just, Obviously, I think this is very amazing because I keep saying it. That city has been torn down and rebuilt time and time and time again. And it's still happening there. That when you go to build a parking garage in Jerusalem, right, and like dig down to like build the foundation for that, you're digging into layers of an ancient city. Everything, every building project there is an archaeological dig. A city is is a conglomeration of of building and rebuilding. Always, it's always happening. It's an ongoing process. Guys, that is what we have been invited to with this time that we have been given to be a part of the church. But the question is, God, what are you asking us to step into? What are you asking us to build? What are you asking us to rebuild? And Lord, would you guide us in doing that in a way that's faithful to your word? And that our confidence there is not that we're gonna do it all right. God willing, that in generations that our great-grandkids will look and they will say, hey, when we look at God's word and we look at what you built, there are some things that you built that were really good. And there are some things that need to be rebuilt. Yes. Because God is at work and he has promised that he will be about that work always. And the invitation is us, for us, is that we would take an honest accounting of where we are and, and how we need to see Jesus come in our own life. And that that would remind us, give us the humility to engage in that work with and for each other. And that would give us hope and courage as we make each other strong for stepping into that work. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the encouragement that it is to us, Lord, that you have told us that it is finished. 
that the finished nature of your work on our behalf, Lord, gives us the courage to see who we truly are. Lord, that you would call us your craftsmanship uh, because you delight and desire to work in us. So we pray, Lord, that you would uh, open our eyes to that work and that you would give us the courage as we step into it ourselves and with each other. Uh, would you press your, your courage into us even as we are worshiping here together this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.